All right. Well, good morning again, everybody. It's good to have all of you here today. You know, I'm actually really excited for this message. Actually, I had a fun week preparing this message. It just spoke a lot to me. And then kind of last night as I was preparing, I'm like, I hope you guys like this message because I just kind of really got into study this week and just kind of examining kind of this whole life of Peter and this kind of the life of Peter that we see as John tells us in his gospel in John 20 and 21. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we're doing a series called What's Next? Basically, I started this after Easter because you go through the week of Easter, we have Good Friday and Easter and the resurrection and you get all that big stuff in one week and then you're kind of like, okay, what do we do next? So God put it on my heart to do a series called What's Next? And for the last few weeks, we have been looking at the, 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 the week after Jesus' resurrection, how he appeared to his disciples and he appeared to his followers. And he encouraged them and he comforted them and he gave them instructions. And it's kind of an interesting, when you read through John 20 and 21, you see most of Jesus' followers were pretty distraught. They're pretty upset. They just had a really traumatic week. They really didn't expect that Jesus would actually die on a cross. And then once he died on the cross, they really didn't expect that he'd actually rise from the dead, but yet he did that. And so they have this week of a profound events that are happening in their life. So on one hand, they're excited to see what's happening. But on the other hand, I think they're a little set back. And I think it's important for us to really look at John 20 and 21 to understand how Jesus related to his disciples after that situation that they had. Because the truth is a lot of us have weeks like that, like that where you know, things happen in our life that we never thought would happen. And we kind of wonder how, how we're going to navigate life. And that's what the disciples kind of felt like after Jesus died on the cross. I didn't expect that to happen. What do we do now? So we've really been looking a lot at John 20 and 21 to really get a good understanding of how it is that Jesus relates to us when we're kind of in a point of crisis. And also what we see in Peter is that Peter didn't just have a moment of crisis, but he had to deal with the fact that he, he made a major mistake, that he kind of failed in what he said he would do for God. He promised what he said for Jesus, that he would not deny him, but yet Peter did it. So we have a story about how Jesus relates to his followers to encourage them, but also we have a story about a comeback. Of how Peter ministered, or how Jesus ministered to Peter to encourage him that, yeah, you're going to have another opportunity, that you're going to have another chance. But before we go to John 21, we're really going to focus on today, John 21. I want to go back a few chapters to John 15. I want us to talk about one of these major themes in the book of John that is about absolute surrender. Sometimes it's helpful to understand where John is in this book, kind of the theme of John before we're going to just look at the very last chapter. In John 15, verse 5, uh, Jesus is actually speaking to his followers, and he says to them, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I am then them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, this is one of those verses that you read in the Bible that you're like, Oh, yeah, okay, I, I, yeah, I understand that. But I think sometimes we really don't fully grasp but what John is saying to us, or what Jesus is saying to us. I don't think sometimes we understand the fact that from apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Because I think a lot of times we look around and we say, anybody can do anything. There's people that aren't followers of Jesus who haven't really surrendered their life to Jesus, that do nice things, that do charitable things, that maybe help people that are marginalized or hurt. So we really don't understand, what does it mean that, uh, that apart from Jesus that you can't do anything? See, I think what Jesus is saying to his followers, he's saying, you cannot do anything of eternal significance without me. That you cannot do anything that is really going to matter long term without me. That really, if you do something without me, yeah, you might do some nice things, but it's not going to really have any value long term. 
See, it's easy for us sometimes to get really comfortable relying on our own ability and our own strength to kind of do some different things in our life. And sometimes we get, have to get into the situation where we realize that we're a failure on our own, that we really, really need Jesus to help us. And that's kind of the story of Peter. He's a guy with a lot of ambition. He's a guy that has a lot of tenacity and a guy that has a lot of boldness, but he often has to learn the lesson that he can't do it on his own because when he tries it on his own, he usually leads him to failure. And that's sometimes Peter's problem, that he likes to do things his own way. So to help us understand this principle of the vine and the, or to understand this principle is we cannot do anything without Jesus helping us, John gives us a little bit more instruction in John 15, 1 to 2. And this again is Jesus talking where Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce it even more. Now, if you didn't like the fact that you cannot do anything without Jesus, that's a hard thing to grab hold of. Then you read this verse and now suddenly you're talking about pruning. See, the very idea of pruning doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound very encouraging. It sounds painful. It sounds pretty difficult. And it's one of those things I think sometimes what we do is say, that's a little too painful, a little too difficult. You know, that, that would probably never really happen to me. Maybe it'll happen to somebody else, but probably Jesus is not really going to want to do that in my life. Simply because pruning doesn't sound like a comfortable process. But see, actually pruning is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. See, this is typically what happens with a grapevine. A grapevine usually, you know, grows pretty good from the branch. You usually see the grapevine will grow five to six feet. It'll be this beautiful vine with beautiful green leaves on it and have luscious grapes growing on it. And that's usually the first five or six feet. And then what you're going to see is the next five or six feet will be of a vine with just green leaves on it. But you don't see any fruit. You don't see any grapes. And then usually tagged onto that is usually another five to ten feet of just a stick. And that's usually how a grapevine will grow. The first five or six feet will be healthy, will be good grapes. Then you're going to have five or six feet of just a leaf, and then you're going to have a stick at the end. And that's kind of a picture that John is giving to us, that Jesus is trying to explain to us, that sometimes that is how our life looks. Because like a grapevine, we have a problem or a tendency in our life sometimes to overextend ourselves. And like the grapevine, you overextend yourself and you just start to produce a stick. And so that's kind of the imagery that uh, Jesus is trying to help us understand is that sometime he needs to prune us back to take things out of our life that really aren't producing much fruit. They're not going to produce anything of any value. But see, what's hard for us in this whole pruning process is the idea that Jesus is the one that decides what to prune and what to take away. See, when you talk about pruning in our life, I usually could probably come up with a good list of Jesus of things I would say, you should take these away from me. These are areas of my life I do not like. These are areas of my life that are kind of a struggle. They're areas of my life that just, they're painful. So we kind of come up with a good list that we'd like to give to Jesus and say, this is your pruning list. Take this away from my life, and then I would be happier. So we kind of have these expectations sometimes of what we want Jesus to do. Instead, we're not seeing him do what we actually want him to do. So he's doing other things in our life. So we just go back to that main principle is that Jesus isn't so much concerned with taking away difficult things in our life as much as he's concerned with about changing us. That's usually the heart of everything that Jesus does is he's trying to change us. 
He's trying to change us instead of just remove anything difficult from our life. But that's what we want. We want the difficult things removed. So I think another problem that we have about John 15 is sometimes understanding what is fruit. What is this good fruit that we are supposed to be producing in our life? See, I think it's easy for us to think of good fruit as achievements in our life or maybe success in our life or maybe what we're really good at, or maybe our job performance, or our sports performance, or our, our parenting performance, or how well our kids are doing. We often look at those kind of things, and I think sometimes we think that, that that's, that's, that's good success. And we think that should be the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And there can be overlap. Some of that stuff could be the fruit of the Spirit in our life, but good fruit is actually what's produced in our life by the Holy Spirit. See, good fruit is more of our character, than an award or success. See, Galatians 5, verse 22 tells us, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what the Bible refers to when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's talking about those character things in our life that Jesus is trying to grow in our life, that he's trying to make us a better person, that he's trying to make us to become the person that we were created intended to be. He's trying to create in us this character that can be reproduced, can be reproduced in other people, and that's where you see the fruit coming in, is that what we do in our life can be reproduced as we encourage and mentor and love other people. But I think sometimes there's two other areas of fruit in our life that sometimes we forget about, and that is faithfulness. In obedience are also fruits of the Spirit. These are areas of our life that God is always trying to grow us in, that we're going to become more faithful and we're going to be more obedient to Him. And this was a lesson that Jesus is trying to teach Peter in John 20 and 21. He's trying to teach him that he didn't always have to be first, that he didn't always have to be first in everything, and also that Peter didn't always have to compare himself to other people. Comparing himself to other people was kind of a struggling block for Peter. See, so often we like to determine our value by what we think other people would think about us. Or we like to determine our value by our performance and think, well, maybe God will love me more or accept me more. And that's where that little problem of comparing ourselves to other people starts sitting in as we fall into that performance trap or that comparison trap. The truth is my life is going to look very different from other people's life. And I just need to be comfortable with that fact. See, I think if we were truly comfortable with who we are and what God called us to be, comfortable with what's currently going on in my life and currently comfortable with the situation that's going on in my life, I think we'd be much happier people. We would just simply stop comparing how my life is progressing by someone else's life is progressing. See, I think that's what happened to Peter that kind of unraveled him. In Matthew 26, verse 33, Jesus, or Peter said to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Why? Why does Peter have to always bring up other people? Even if they won't, look what I will do. He's always trying to make himself look a little bit better than other people. He's always trying to say, I'm going to be the first there. I'm going to be better than anyone else. Jesus isn't looking for that. Jesus isn't looking for you to how you're going to beat out somebody else. I like how Andy Stanley says it. He says, 
There you go. Hey, you weren't paying attention. Got her. For <laughs> first time I ever caught her not paying attention. I'm usually the one always off somewhere. All right, Andy Stanley says comparison is determined. Compare. All right, let me start over. I got so excited. All right, comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. Comparison is determining where I am based on where everyone else is. See, good illustration. Last week I had breakfast with a pastor friend of mine in Grand Rapids, and we had a great one or two hour breakfast. I walked out of breakfast encouraged, strengthened, good conversation, encouraged me. I'm driving home thinking this was great. And about an hour into it, I'm like, how did he know that stuff and I didn't know that yet? Well, it's just, I should know that. Why did he have to encourage me? And the fact is he's younger than I am. And, and so you go down that road of thinking, comparing yourself, and meanwhile you're like, just be thankful of what God is doing in my life, what God is doing in his life, and he spoke to me. But it's so easy to fall in that comparison trap. See, no matter what we're doing, we can always look around and find somebody who's doing better than us or someone who's doing worse than us. And the problem is it's always from our own perspective. We're not even really exactly sure what's going on. And see, I think that's what happened to Peter. He kept on monitoring. How are these other disciples doing? Are they following Jesus as well as I am? Are they growing as well as I am? And I think what happened to Peter after a while, he was so focused on the other disciples and so focused what they're doing that he got his eyes off Jesus. And then he got into that trap where he actually denied Jesus. And see, this is the area that Jesus wanted to bring freedom to Peter this tendency to compare himself to other people. This is what is on Jesus' heart, that he's going to set Peter free from comparing himself to other people. And that's why I call this message untouchables. Because that's Jesus' goal for Peter, is that Peter is not influenced by what other people think about him. And that's his goal for us, is that we're not influenced by what other people think about us. But we're influenced by our relationship with Jesus Christ. Sure, we live in community, other people support us. But our end, our desire, is always deeper relationship with Jesus. See, Peter is always remembered as the apostle that walked on water, a man of great faith. But he's also always remembered as the man that denied Jesus. See, Peter was the guy that's 100% in, or he's 100% messing up. There's not a whole lot of middle ground in Peter. He's either on or he's even off. But what the beautiful thing about Peter is that Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. See, Jesus didn't evaluate Peter at the end of the day by how his performance was every day. Jesus always evaluates us based on Jesus' own performance. See, Peter had this good thing going for him as he always came back to Jesus. He always came back to Jesus no matter what mess up he did in his life. So last week we talked about God's plan to restore Peter, and we talked about God's faithfulness to restore Peter. And Last week's message was basically, in, in, two, in two sentences, is basically admit your weaknesses and depend on Jesus. The story... That's just cute listening to a little baby cry. This, we'll see you later, buddy. He actually is crying because he doesn't want to leave. He likes this message. He wants a little cookie. (laughs) 
So this is the story about Peter. It's just to simply show us God's love and compassion. It's to show us that every single day is an invitation from Jesus. See, the mistake that you made last night or last week or last month or, every, or a, a year ago is what God is going to use as a setup to bring you into your future and into your destiny. So Peter goes through this beautiful restoration process, this wonderful story of restoration, and then Jesus finishes by reminding Peter, yeah, I've still called you to do the same thing. You didn't lose your calling. I still want you to feed my sheep. And so you kind of would expect chapter 21 should end kind of there. Peter's restored. Jesus says, feed my sheep. So you're actually, I think, a little bit surprised that there is, is a John 21, 18 through 25. Because as I read this, you'll kind of figure out it's a little bit, doesn't seem like the good way I would end a book. All right. So I tell you the truth. When you were young, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. I tell you the truth, Peter. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved and the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this, that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want you to remain alive until I return, that is what to do. This disciple is one who testifies to these events and the and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So we're here we have Jesus' beautiful restoration of Peter. And you think the book should end, but it continues on you kind of expect Peter's restored, maybe a little banquet afterwards. Maybe a little reception for Peter. Things are better now. Some cookies. It'd been kind of nice to kind of end the book of John, I think, with a little banquet to kind of celebrate. But instead, Jesus is, tells Peter how he's going to die missed something over there. <laughs> I think I know what's happening to that baby. <laughs> so you'd kind of expect maybe chapter 21 would end there, but instead what happens is Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. That he's going to actually die by crucifixion. And you might wonder, how do you get crucifixion out of that verse 25? See, the, the phrase, stretch out your hands, was an idiom from the Roman Empire, meaning a person would be crucified. And being led where he does not want to go is an idiom for being led to execution. So Jesus is describing to Peter what is going to be the outcome for following him, that someday he's going to be crucified. And I think we all wonder, why are you telling Peter that? I don't know if I would be that excited if Jesus said to me, 
yeah, by the way, someday you're going to be crucified. That doesn't actually sound very nice. It sounds pretty painful. It doesn't seem like something that I would look forward to. It seems to me like that's something that you would tell a person if you wanted them to live in panic mode for a while. See, Peter's probably a pretty young guy here. He's probably, I don't know, maybe early 20s. And Jesus says, when you're old, you're going to die this way. Old back then was probably 50, 60, or 70. He's saying, hey, Peter, yeah, next 30 or 40 years, you're going to die this way. Why would Jesus tell Peter how he's going to die this way? Because, you know, honestly, I think that would scare him off. I think it might scare me off. I don't want somebody to tell me I'm going to be crucified someday. It kind of seems like a depressing way to end the gospel message that you're going to die for being a follower of Jesus. You kind of wish that Jesus would say, hey, Peter, you know, someday you're going to die. You're going to have a good life. You're going to have a nice death and a nice funeral. And that's how it's going to end. But notice, notice verse 19. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Now, that seems a little strange, that your death could actually glorify God. I don't know if I ever realized that my death could actually bring glory to God. See, I think what we realize is this verse is really a verse about Peter living in peace and freedom. See, this isn't about suffering. This is about freedom. But I think we look at crucifixion and say, no, that's suffering. Jesus never said in this section of Scripture that Peter was going to suffer. But so often, we think because he's going to be crucified this way, it must be suffering, that maybe it's some consequence still of a sin in the past. So I think before we can really fully understand what Jesus is saying to Peter, we need to understand this theme of suffering and the theme of giving glory to God that John develops in this entire book of John. See, sometimes it can be hard to understand John 21, but I want to back up and look at a couple other parts of Scripture in John to give us a little bit better understanding. See, some of you are familiar with the story in John 9 where Jesus introduced as a blind man from birth. And all the disciples are, how could this guy be blind? Who, who did, somebody must have done something wrong. Who sinned is their question to Jesus. For this man to be born blind, somebody must have sinned. And so the whole assumption here with the disciples that sin was called blindness. And Jesus gave this answer in John 9, verse 3. He said, it is not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Again, this is not what you would expect. See, how could a very challenging situation like blindness be part of God's plan? See, our reaction is, this is a problem. That just needs to go away. See, in a couple of chapters later, we get the story of Jesus' very good friend, Lazarus, who is sick. He is so sick that they think they're going to die. So his sisters call out to Jesus and say, come quickly. Your friend is going to die. And what does Jesus do? He waits two days to go visit his sick friend. 
You would think, Jesus, this is your friend. Come on, run, sprint, get there, hurry. Do something about it right now. But we read in John 11, verse 4, it says, But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Again, you're like, how could this guy being sick bring God glory? Because I think our default is, well, God, you would, be, you would be more glorified if you just quickly healed them right away. Or yet, maybe Jesus, if you would have healed them before he even got sick, that would bring you more glory, because that's really what we want in our life. We don't want these obstacles in our life. We don't want these challenging situations to go in our life. We don't want to sit around our friend Lazarus' bedside while we're waiting. Is Jesus going to do something or not? But however, the Gospel of John is developing this whole theme that challenges in your life, suffering in your life, going through things in your life that you don't want to happen can actually bring glory to God. See, I think this is our problem. We usually want victory Jesus. See, we want the Jesus that instantly heals on the spot. And Jesus does do that. The Bible's filled with miracles of Jesus instantly healing people. But see, sometimes we get the suffering Jesus on the cross. Kind of the slower plan than what we expected. See, I think Judah Smith is right when he says that we often see either suffering Jesus or we see victory Jesus. And because we are a people that like certainty, we are usually either all for Jesus, always healing quickly, now, now, now. Or sometimes we have a tendency to borrow the side of we're just suffer, we're just suffering, we'll endure it, we'll endure it. Because we like certainty, because we try to like to figure things out, usually we're always all into the long-term suffering or we're all over here saying, you got to heal instantly now. But see, the truth is where Jesus is, is he's right in the middle of the two. And sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to embrace the fact that we're not sure if it's a plan of long-suffering or it's a plan of instantly healing. We want to know quickly, but sometimes it's find a maturity in following Jesus. It's just standing in the middle, just trusting God, trusting Jesus, saying, you know what? Some of life is just a mystery, and some I do not know. And that's sort of where I think this, some of the tension in our life is to try to figure out where do we stand. Sometimes we just don't know what is happening. But see, the Gospel of John is very clear that no matter what happens in your life, your blindness, your sickness, your suffering, your crucifixion, everything can be used by God for his own glory. And so I think what we're actually going to see in the story is that Peter's impending death is what Jesus is using to bring Peter freedom. He's actually going to use the announcement of Peter's death to encourage Peter that he's going to walk in freedom. But I think before we can really understand some of these challenges, we need to understand what is freedom. What is freedom? There's a lot of different ways you could describe freedom. I kind of wrestled with this for two, three days, but here's, here's a good stab at it, first stab. I think freedom is when you get to the place that all that matters is Jesus. 
You no longer care about the consequences for following him because he is what sustains your life. That's part of freedom. When all your focus is is on Jesus and you don't care what anybody else thinks about your relationship with Jesus. See, I think freedom is also when you get to the point where you don't care what anyone else thinks. It is when the fears and anxiety that once dictated your life no longer have power because all you have gained through life in Christ far outweighs anything you stand to lose. I think in there is a word fear and anxieties, and I think a lot of us have fear and anxieties that we are not even aware of. And part of what God wants to do in our life is just set us free from any fear or any anxiety that would hold us back or would cause us to compare ourselves to other people. God's always at work to try to get us to just be totally satisfied with our relationship with Jesus alone. I think John Piper says it well in these two sentences, sums up a lot of things. He says, Christ is glorified in you when he is more precious to you than all that life can give or death can take. See, I think sometimes we worry when he's talking about glorifying God. I think sometimes we're like, God's going to be glorified in your crucifixion that we think maybe God's a little bit of a monster. Like, yeah, I'm going to watch them get crucified and that's going to give them pleasure, but no, not at all. See, God's glorified when we get to the place in our life when our happiness, when our contentment is totally derived from our relationship with Jesus. John Piper goes on to say, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. When you are at the place where Jesus gives you complete satisfaction, that's a place of freedom. There's no more freedom than you can have than the place you're at where Jesus is all that satisfies you. And Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm going to get you to that place. I'm going to get you there. And I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is, Peter, right now you have your fears you have your anxiety, you have your tendency to compare yourself to other people, but I'm going to set you free from all of that. I'm going to set you free to the, so you're going to get to the place where all that satisfies you is Jesus. So again, why did Peter need to know the information about his death? Why did he need to know that? See, it's actually good news for Peter. It's good news for Peter because what Peter is learning is that Jesus is going to take away every fear and every anxiety away from Peter that caused him to fear and that caused him to deny Christ. See, what Peter wanted to do in his life is he said earlier, as I read that scripture, about Peter wanted to die for Christ. Peter wanted to have that courage to die for Christ. He told Jesus that he wanted to do that. But the problem is, Peter's timing was off. And Peter was relying on himself to be able to do that. And now what Jesus is saying to Peter is, someday, Peter, someday you'll get to that place where you will be comfortable dying for me. And your fears will be gone. Your anxieties will be gone. You will be able to die for me. And that's why God told Peter how he would die someday to encourage him to encourage him that he's going to set him free so he could actually do that.
And I think sometimes for us, it's like, that doesn't sound encouraging. But see, I think Peter lived, started to live that day from the perspective of what is I, the, the confidence of knowing what God is going to do for me. Instead of living from the perspective of maybe he'll do this for me. I think it changed Peter's entire perspective when he knew how he was going to die because he knew if he was going to die by crucifixion, that meant the fear had to be gone in his life. That meant the doubt had to be gone in his life. And that meant the anxiety had to be gone in his life because as long as there were fear and doubt and anxiety in comparison in his life, he knew he would never die for Jesus. He would run like he did before. What is going to stop Peter from doing exactly what he did before when he denied Jesus three times? There's nothing except what Peter is learning. If he totally depends on Jesus, if he totally surrenders to Jesus, that he is going to be able to do what Jesus has called him to do. And so I think that's an exciting place for Peter to be. It's an exciting place for Peter to be at the place where he knows that he will be able to do what he's been called to do. So that is part of Peter's calling, is that he would live in absolute surrender to Jesus. And now Peter knows that he is going to be able to do that. Some of you are, might be sitting here thinking to yourself, well, how do you get to that place? How do you get to that place where you can be like Peter and your, 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 your prophesied death someday doesn't scare the, you so much that you run and hide? How did Peter get free? See, I, don't, I think we need to really look at that metaphor when, um, that's used in the scripture about dying on a cross. See, John compares stretching out your hands to dying on a cross to being like a little child who stretches out his hands to his parents. See, listen to how Jesus talks to Peter. He says to Peter, you know, right now, Peter, you have all the freedom to go where you want to. You can decide how to dress. But that's not going to be your case in the future. See, Jesus saying to Peter, you know, right now you can do anything you want to do. In fact, Peter, you could bolt right now if you wanted to because I just told you how you're going to die. You could bolt for me right now. But see, then he goes on and he says, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. See, when Peter's older, somebody's going to overtake him and they'll bring about his own death. But he's using that, the symbol as a metaphor. He's saying, Peter, you know, like when you're young and you stretched out your hands and you're totally dependent on somebody else, you're going to be able to do that with me. You're going to have so much confidence in me as you grow, as you get older, that you can do something extraordinary that you didn't think you could ever do. See, Peter, Jesus just reminding Peter, yeah, you can't do that on your own. You tried to do that on your own, but it didn't work very well. But he's saying, someday, Peter, you're going to be able to do that on your own. And that's why it's great news. It's great news because Jesus is telling Peter what fears and anxiety he's going to set him free from. So how is Peter going to get to this place? How is Peter going to get to this place? It's going to be simply by experiencing the grace of God. It's simply by the gift that God is going to give him of grace. See, Peter's failures are actually going to bring him into the freedom that he needs so desperately in his life. And so how does Jesus wrap this up? He says to Peter, okay, this is how you're going to die. And then he says, follow me. 
once again, follow me. I like how David Platt says it. I think he says it well. He says, this extremely shocking and utterly revolutionary call of follow me is the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are not called to simply believe certain points or observe certain practices, but ultimately to cling to the person of Christ as life itself. See, that's the heart and the message of Jesus, is to follow him, which means to, complain, to cling to Jesus. David Platt follows it up and says, when you become a Christian, you die and Jesus becomes your life. That's the journey that Jesus has taken Peter on. He's not trying to scare Peter off. He's not trying to scare Peter away. Instead, he's saying, Peter, look how good your life's going to get. Your life's only going to get better and better and better. So Jesus restores Peter. He's encouraging Peter, telling Peter what he's going to take away in his life, that he's going to set him free. And what is the next thing that Peter does? It's, what, it's so easy for each of us to do. Peter says, well, what about him? What about him? See, I think at first it probably was a little hard for Peter to hear, yeah, someday you're going to die for me. You're going to be crucified. So his reaction was, what about these other people here? <laughs> How are they going to die? How are they going to die? Are you going to do the same thing to them? It's kind of like, remember when you're a kid and it's Christmas, you're kind of more concerned what your siblings are going to get because it might not be equal to what you're going to get? I think I just have Christmas present issues. Yeah. <laughs> and listen to Jesus' reply. Jesus simply says to him, did my microphone just get weird? Okay. And look what Jesus says to him. What is it to you? What is it to you? You don't have to worry about other people. You don't have to worry about other people going to live, how they're going to die, or what I'm going to do in their life. You don't have to worry about that at all. Because I'm going to do a good work in you. And then a conclusion to John 21 is 20, verses 24 to, through 25. It said, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books. And see, this now is a complete gospel message. It's a complete message of the gospel. When Peter can walk in the freedom that God has called him to walk in. And I think sometimes we close the gospel with we become saved and we know our eternal life is. And we see presented in the gospel, no, the gospel doesn't just want you saved, it wants you to walk in the freedom in the victory that Jesus has given to you. Because Jesus wanted Peter to walk in the freedom. Why? Because see, he told Peter earlier that you're going to be my rock who I'm going to build my church upon. God had huge plans for Peter. He didn't just have plans for him just to be a person. He had big plans for him. He was going to be the rock on who Jesus was going to build his church. He had a unique plan. God has a unique plan for Peter's life and a unique purpose for Peter's life. And it's the same with each of us. God has a unique plan and a unique purpose and a unique future, future for each of us. And sometimes I think we just need to be like Peter and live from the perspective of the confidence to know that God is going to set us free so we can do what he's called us to do. So we don't let sit back 
and let anything dictate our life or to try to control our life like fear, anxiety, or comparison to other people. So let me pray as the worship team comes up. Father, we do thank you for today. And Father, I do thank you for what you are doing in each of our lives. I thank you, Father, for the freedom that you came to bring each of us. I thank you, Lord, that you came to set us free from from comparison, that you came to set us free from um, anxiety and fear. Lord, I pray, Lord, for any person here today, Lord, that might be struggling with fear, anxiety, or some other challenging issue that's preventing them from living totally satisfied in you, that you administer to them now, that you'd encourage them. Lord, I pray that you'd set each of us free, Lord, so we could be who you've called us to be and with a confidence to be who you've called us to be. Amen.